Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Luke chapter 13, uh, 1 through 9, Corey's going to read our text for us today. Hey guys, I'm Corey. As Daniel said, we'll be in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Thanks, Corey. Good morning, Hill City. Good to see you all. We're going to jump in today. So to set, before we jump into that text in Luke, I want to try to set a little bit of a foundation or maybe an understanding in which we need to see this passage in Luke. Um, And so we'll be back at Luke in a second. If you want to look, we'll be Genesis 1, verse 26, and it'll be on the screen. Um, when God sets the world into place, sets the planets into motion, creates life, and, and how God created and, and the order in which he created it and how he created. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, the Lord God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, this is man, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth. And over the creeping things that creep on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his image. And it repeats it. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we jump into the account of creation. And you know, God's created everything. And his last act of creation is to create humanity, man. And this creation of humanity is different than any other creation. It's the the pinnacle, the top of God's creation. And there's a distinction over man than any other thing that God created. And that distinction is this idea that in the image of God, he created them. God creating humanity in his image. Theologians call it the Imago Dei. It is this understanding, this theological understanding that humans are separate than any other creation, any other animal, any other thing in creation, because humanity, this idea of the Imago Dei is humanity is created in the image of God after its likeness that there is inherent glory of humanity given from God and that humans are blessed by God and they are told to partner with God in having dominion over all of creation. It's a partnership that God creates with humanity. God and humanity together, humans blessed in his image to now help the earth flourish. And he tells these humans, go have other children, create other humans, fill the earth, populate the earth, take care of the earth. It's a partnership with the idea, the intention being shalom. It's that Hebrew word we talk about, universal flourishing. So the idea that Mago Day, humans are created in the image of God, that there is an inherent worth, an inherent value, inherent dignity because of that image of God. We get this? And that is inherent of all humans. They're invited into God's creation to partner with him. That is why as believers through this gospel lens of creation, it's so important because this understanding in Genesis must inform everything we believe as Christians. 
That's why we believe all of humanity, all of humanity has an inherent worth, value, significance because all of humanity is created in God's image. Okay, now there, a couple of our friends have some really old dogs, like the kind that bump into the, 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 the furniture all the time because they can't see. And kind of the, 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 the running joke with us is that one of these days, we're going to have to take one of those dogs on a long walk in the woods. You guys, okay, I'm from the country. We don't go to the vet. We just take a long walk in the woods. Okay, you know what I mean. And, right, and it's kind of the joke that one day, you know, when, when, when the dog just can't take care of itself, like, that walk's coming. Now, never have I said this. You know, Grandma, she's bumping into some things. It's, Grandma, let's go. Let's go. Why? Because Grandma has an inherent worth, value, and significance because she is creating the image of God, and your dog is not. I know you love your dog. There's a distinction, and, and this understanding is foundation. I mean, it's, it's Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis. God puts this distinction on humanity, and it must inform every other thing we do. This understanding of the imago Dei, of God's glory being given to humans is the foundation in which the world was built, and, and our theology must be built. Remember, the design being universal flourishing. Now, we know Genesis chapter 3 happens right after this, and what happens is evil comes and disrupts this idea of the Mago Day. It's fractured. The, the expression now of humanity living out, them, living out lives as image bearers becomes fractured. Now, there's still an inherent glory in humanity, but at the same time, there's this deep brokenness, and, and that is the human story. All of humanity, believer, unbeliever, created in the image of God, having this likeness of God, this inherent glory of God, yet at the same time being deeply broken. And as we read account of Genesis, we see what happens when the Imago Dei is Fractured. The understanding of that is fractured. Relationship with God is broken. Adam and Eve say, you know what? We can be like God. We can be our own God. And, and they step out, and instead of being image bearers that work towards God's idea of flourishing, they work towards their idea of flourishing. And now there's a broken relationship with God. And what's, what do they do? They hide. Right? They, they go hide from God. So when sin comes in, this this understanding of the Imago Dei in their hearts is fractured with, with God, but also with one another. Right? I mean, Adam blames Eve. The first two children kill, like one of them kills the other. God even says of, of women, like their desire will be for their husband and his problem is he will try to rule over. Like humanity's relationship is fractured because this picture of the Imago Dei is fractured. And even with creation, that's why God says to Adam, Adam, by the sweat of your brow will you produce food that comes from the earth. Many of you have tried to garden in southwest Missouri. Know what that's like, right? Even creation itself now is working against us because of this brokenness of humanity, this imago day that's fractured. And because of that, Paul says in Romans verse, chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the reality of a broken expression of the Imago Dei in humanity is we suppress the truth of God for our own ideas, for our own truth. And he goes on in chapter 1, Therefore God gave them over to lust. He gave them over to whatever their hearts wanted. He gave them over to dishonorable passions. Verse 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, remember this relationship fractured, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip. I mean, he just keeps going. Talking about the brokenness of this expression of the Imago Dei. What happens when that is broken is what we see here. 
Though they knew God's righteous decree, those who practice things that are deserved to die, they not only did them, but gave approval to those who practice. And Paul in Romans kind of concludes this idea of this fracture of the Imago Dei. He says in verse 10, it's written, no one is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Question, who's he talking about? All of us. Humanity. Like this is what, when, when the Imago Dei is broke, this understanding of the Imago Dei, that humans are created in, in the image of God as partners with him to bring flourishing, where that is fractured, the result is we do whatever we want and there is a, there is a curse of God against us because of our sin. And all of us are in the same boat. So as humans, we have this inherent glory and beauty as image bearers of God, yet this deep depravity as sinful people. Okay, and it's with this theological understanding that we have to jump into this passage of Luke because Jesus arrives on a scene and enters a world with a group of people, Israelites, who have a fractured understanding of the Imago Dei. That's why Jesus will say to them, hey, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, fractured version of Imago Dei. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Israel, who's called out of humanity as God's representatives to join him in bringing the kingdom, have sacrificed babies, have treated women as property, have held slaves, are ethnocentric, they devalue anyone that's not a Jew, and especially a certain type of Jew, they have, a, they have an inherent disdain for sick, for broken, for the blind, for the lame. They have a broken view of the Imago Dei. Well, Jesus comes as God's perfect representative, and he perfectly lives out the Imago Dei. He touches a leper. He interacts with a woman of the city. He touches a blind man. He interacts with a Samaritan woman. He even shows grace to a religious elite. He stops an execution of a woman caught in adultery. Jesus perfectly embodies what it's like to live as image bearers of God. Now let's jump into Luke 13. And it's in this understanding of a fractured expression of the Imago Dei that Jesus gets asked a question. Verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, now let me make sense of this. Apparently, we don't really know the situation, or apparently some Galilean believers went to the temple to offer sacrifices to God, and Pilate, this is the same Pilate who's going to be involved in Jesus' um, execution, Pilate sent some soldiers in and sabotaged them, killed them at a place of worship. And when he killed them, like their blood ran and it actually ran and dripped into the blood of the animals that were being sacrificed. And so that's the context, right? This present time, there were those that, so they come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, did you hear the news? Pilate killed these Galilean worshipers. It'd be the equivalent of the government coming into a church in America and executing some people. That's what happened. Now, why would they ask this? They're, they're, and we don't know exactly, but they're trying to get Jesus to weigh in on kind of a hot topic issue. Okay, well, Jesus sees through their hearts, and he's sitting in verse 2, and he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. Okay, now we have to understand something about what's going on here. Jesus is a Jew at the, at the top of the Jewish society are Jewish men who are Judeans. Center of that is Jerusalem. Galileans 
Galileans, Galileans, whichever it is, are a couple tiers down. In their understanding of kind of who's in, who's out hierarchy, because I've told you before, the Jews had a hierarchy. And so they come to Jesus, hey, did you hear about those Galileans that were killed? Here was the belief at the time that these Galileans must have done something horrible for God to punish, number one, and not make them Judeans, but also to punish them and somehow that them coming to the temple that day was God singling them out because they were especially wicked to punish them. That's the belief of the time of Jesus. They believed God punished those that had deformities, were blind. That's why in John, Jesus says, he, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked him, hey, Rabbi, with this blind man, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you, do you see the understanding? If, if there's something that they think is wrong with someone, well, obviously that person is a worse sinner. And so they come with us and are saying to Jesus, hey, those Galileans who are worse sinners anyway, they got killed by Pilate, like, they're probably even worse than the normal Galilean, right, Jesus? Well, he uses this opportunity to clear up their theological understanding. And he asks a rhetorical question. Do you think they were worse than any other Galileans? That's his answer to that. Do you think they were worse than any other? I mean, but they're still Galileans. But watch what Jesus does. Verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Again, it's just something that happened. We don't know exactly what, but apparently a part of a wall in Jerusalem, or maybe like a tower they built to repair the wall, fell and it killed some people. But look who it killed. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Okay, so here's the question. Jesus, those Galileans who were killed by Pilate, are they worse sinners? Jesus says, no, they're not. And while we're talking about sin, you need to repent. Then Jesus says, hey, what about those mighty Jerusalem Jews who are at the top that were killed by the wall? Are they worse sinners? Jesus pulls out really the heart of their question, exposes this jacked up belief that people get what they deserve, that there's this hierarchy of sinners, there's worse here than others, and he kind of exposes their ethnocentrism. I've wrestled with, I was talking to Brad about this morning, I've been wrestling with an equivalent to help us understand this, and this is the best I have. If we could hop in a time machine and go back to 1950s in the Jim Crow South, and Jesus was, was there, and some, some white like powerful people came up to Jesus in, in Jim Crow South in the 50s and said, hey, Jesus, those black people that were killed in that civil rights protest, they're probably worse sinners, right? And Jesus says, well, no, they're not, and you need to repent. And Jesus says this, hey, those white businessmen that were killed in the bus crash on the way to the protest, are they worse sinners? See what he does? He reframes the conversation from a them to a us. And it seems like Jesus does this all the time. When someone comes to him, hey, Jesus, what about him? Jesus seems to always say, okay, what about you? What about us? Look what he tells him. Verse 5, no, I tell you. Here we go. But unless you repent, you all Likewise, likewise, will perish. Hey, Jesus, what about them? What about you? You know, you, know, you know how they died? No, they're not worse sinners. But as a matter of fact, you're just the same as them. Unless you repent, you'll have the same fate. Jesus is telling these people, we don't know who asked him the question. He is telling these people, listen, there is not a worse sinner than you. The most urgent issue 
is your heart, not trying to decide who's the worst sinner out there. So where they are pointing the finger at others, here's what Jesus does. He takes the finger and he says, hey, while we're on the topic of sin, let's talk about your heart. It's this gracious invitation of Jesus for us to do self-evaluation. Because apparently in that day, it's easy, it was easier to talk about other sins than to actually look in the mirror and look at our own. Now, I know we've evolved from that today. I'm talking to believers this morning here. What if we had a new attitude about sin and and how it relates to other people and how it relates to ourselves. Like one of the things that's so prevalent in our culture right now, not just in the church, but definitely in the church, but how quickly we are to cast judgment and choose sides. We look at lots of issues recently of um, a video pops up, oh, and we just kind of jump on something here. Question, what if we took that same ferocity and urgency we take with others' sins and we apply it to our own hearts. Because I think that's what Jesus does. Hey, Jesus, what about them? Jesus says, hey, unless you repent, he takes it right to them, to their heart. I was asked recently, we were having some lunch with some folks, and I was asked, like, what's something that just kind of is happening in our world just really kind of gets you stirred up. And my, here is my first answer, and I think it still is my answer, and it's this. When, when I'm talking to Christians, when Christians say, how could dot, dot, dot. How could anyone do Insert. I can't believe anyone, whatever. Right, you, you seen this? Get on social media today. I'm trying. How, how, how in the world could anyone ever justify dot, 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 dot? All right, so, so we hear about maybe a friend of someone we know who commits adultery. How could anyone cheat on their wife? We hear of someone being abused. How could anyone abuse another person? How could, how could anyone steal money? Can you, believe, can you believe that person stole money from the company? How could, they, how could anyone do that? Christians, let me talk to us. But for the grace of God, there go I. Because here's the posture I see people come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what about those sinners? Jesus says, okay, what about you? So what if we change this? How could anyone? What if we changed it to? I could. How could anyone commit? Really? You're telling me you're not one small decision away from making a really bad mistake? How could anyone ever believe? It's this interaction with Jesus where he welcomes whoever these people are. Maybe they're disciples, maybe they're followers. We don't know who they are. He welcomes them instead of pointing the finger at others and trying to wrestle with who's in and who's out and who's wrong to look at ourselves and ask some hard questions. How could anyone? Here's the answer. I could. Name it. How can anyone? I could. So here's what I'm going to jump in today. I'm going to try to do this with as much humility and grace and love as I can. But I feel you got to talk about it. And it's the whole New York abortion thing. Now, let me start with this. And I'm going to tell you what you should do in response to all that. I'm going to tell you, I may be wrong in some things today. Here, here's what we believe here at Hill City. 
God's word is flawless, but I am flawed. Sometimes my application is flawed. But what I'm going to invite us to do, I'm talking to believers today, is instead of how could dot, 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 to maybe through the lens of what Jesus is doing these believers, say, maybe I could. Now, as I talk about this today, there are women, I know their names, at Hill City, who have had abortions. We have many women here, this next hour, this whole thing's gonna be filled with college students who've taken morning after pills and things like that. And so let me start even jumping into this. You are loved by God and you're loved by us. I'm gonna come back to that at the end. But when I look at abortion, and when we look at abortion, here's what we gotta see. We gotta look through the lens of this Imago Dei. The reason abortion exists is because of fracture in the Imago Dei. Okay? Here's what we believe at Hill City. We believe that abortion is an Imago Dei issue, that all of humanity is created in the image of God and therefore has life, value, significance, purpose, every bit of it, including the unborn baby, including the baby that is first, an egg that's first fertilized. We believe that here. We also believe as Christians that we can't just sit passively by and just watch things happen. That we must, at some level, we must stand against injustice. We must vote, we must write letters, we must have conversations, we must create policy. We believe that. However, as Christians, we can't say that that's our hope, right? That there's also this understanding that the gospel is what changes hearts. And without a gospel change, there's not going to be a regeneration in the belief of Imago Dei. So trying to convince a non-Christian, someone who doesn't even believe in God, why they need to hold up the Imago Dei, it's backwards. Do you see that? Now again, please hear me. We believe here abortion is a sin. It's taking of life. It's a fraction of the Imago Dei. Now, it's a sin just like any other thing. We're going to talk about this that I do that's a fraction of the Imago Dei. It's not any worse. But as I've thought about this, I'm going to invite us through this lens of what's happening in our culture right now to see it through the lens of what Jesus is doing here. Because it is wrong and it's an evil. And here's the deal. I can't imagine being a doctor that has to perform that. I can't imagine being a politician that high fives when that's passed. Now, it's easy for me. How could dot, dot, dot? That's easy. Like they are worse, like Jesus, right? Like they're, they're worse. How could they? I think Jesus would tell us, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. I think even in the midst of this conversation, Jesus' first invitation for us is to look at a heart, at our hearts. Christians, let me talk to us. There is a danger in elevating my own righteousness and minimizing my depravity, especially as we talk about something like abortion. Hey, this is Daniel. Put Daniel, put me in a different environment, raised in a different worldview. I might feel the same way as some of those in New York. I could. Like, how could dot, dot, dot? Also, I can't imagine being a young pregnant girl that feels there's no other option. How could? Well, I can't understand having such limited financial resources that abortion seem like my only option. How could, I, I can't imagine living in a family dynamic of generational poverty because the women from that family dynamic are the ones most susceptible to acting abortion. How could, I can't imagine being raped. I can't imagine being a Christian girl in a strict religious environment who knows she would be singled out and shunned 
if it was revealed that she had a child out of wedlock. See, it's easy with an issue like this to jump on the side of God. How could dot, dot, dot as the judge? And I think Jesus, I think, again, I may be wrong, I think Jesus might graciously say, hey, you could. Hear me, Hill City. We gotta hate evil. I believe abortion's evil. But we must first hate the evil inside us. How could, dot, 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 because there's a breakdown in the Imago Dei. That's how. And I am just as susceptible as anyone else. See, the danger as Christians is we become megaphones calling out evil and never do a darn thing about it. What if instead we were known for how we brought light instead of just how we called out darkness? Knowing that but for the grace of God, there go I. By the way, that, that little quote was, is pinned to a, a pastor from a long time ago as he was watching some men be led to the gallows to be executed. He, he was heard to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Jesus, how could? I think Jesus might say, hey, Daniel, you could. So instead of I, how could, what if we said I could, and then what if we said this? I have. So if I just look at Christianity as a whole, historically, um, as a whole, our, our history is not that great on some things. Like, we've been the wrong side of some issues. I don't know if you know this. Like, crusades were kind of a bad little thing we did. Um, America, witch hunts. Uh, slavery happened on the backs of Bible-believing Christians. Now, again, there were some believers that spoke out against that. I'm not trying to lump all Christians in together. But a majority, many, many, many Christians are like, oh, yeah, they use the Bible to uphold slavery. The savage red man needs to be tamed. Like, we have our junk. That's why Romans, Paul says this, therefore you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges, who says, how could, for in, in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, have. You, the judge, practice the very same things. See, the Imago Day makes me ask some hard questions and look and evaluate my life, right? Because here's what I can say. I have, I have never had an abortion. I've never paid for an abortion. I, I've never done that. But if we look at abortion, abortion not as like the issue of God, but simply one issue in a whole list of Imago Dei issues, sanctity of life issues, then here's what I'm going to see. I have. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Daniel, every one of you who is angry with his brother, who hates his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, that you fool is just like devaluing of life, like hating someone that you devalue their life. You will be liable to the fires of hell. Hear me, hate of someone, it's an Imago Dei issue. When I hate someone, here's what I'm saying. They are such worthless scum that their life, they're not actually creating the image of God as this glory someone living out God's glory, like they are evil, worse than me. Like that's what happens. There's a fractured view of the Mago Day in my life. 
Okay. I, I have dehumanized women, treated women as an object for my enjoyment. It's a Mago Day issue. I take someone created in the image of God with glory, value, and significance, and I make them a thing to be used for whatever I want to do. Hey, hear me on this. I'm going to teach on this in another time. Death penalty. They challenge us as believers. I used to be one of those like, let's kill them all. And a couple of years ago, I got challenged on that, and I kind of went back to the scriptures and wrestled with. And here, here's what Daniel would say. I'm not saying you have to. I see God being pro-life no matter what life is under threat. Now, again, in my flesh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm watching some of those Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. Like, in my flesh, I want to kill him. I want to make him suffer. But through the lens of the Imago Dei, I think it has me ask some deep, deeper questions. Even if we look at, and I'm not going to try to camp out here too long, but if we look at the death penalty in America, we predominantly kill those of lower socioeconomic status and minority races. That's who we kill. Which make me needs me to ask some bigger questions about a bigger system. When we kill anyone, it extends the trauma. It creates a new cycle of suffering. Not to mention the psychological trauma of those doing it, right? We talk about with abortion, the doctors, and the psychological trauma that someone's got to do it on the execution. See, Imago Day makes us think big picture. We can't just pull out something and make it the human life issue. The Imago Dei makes us wrestle with things like racial injustice and what part I've played in that, of the, of the jokes I told in high school. Imago Dei makes me wrestle with things like generational poverty and what my role in that has been and where I maybe turned a blind eye to things. See, here's what the Imago Dei does, and I believe Jesus does here. Anytime we want to say, God, how could they? I think Jesus very, very gently says, you could. As a matter of fact, you have. We're all on the same level. Now, again, some of us don't like this. Like, surely, like, I'm not, I couldn't do that. It's an interesting book I read. Scott Hardwick gave it to me to read. Uh, the book is called Ordinary Men. I've talked about this before. It's a book about Police Battalion 101. It's a group of 500 men that were part of Hitler's uh, Nazi Germany regime. They were a death squad, a murdering squad. They go up to a Jewish town and execute 1,500 babies, men, women, children in one day. It's thought that they killed by themselves, 500 men, about 38,000 Jews. There's a book about them written called Ordinary Men, and because and, and the author wrote this with research saying, what kind of man could do something like that? What kind of man could roll up into a town, herd everyone into a, a pen, walk in the woods, and shoot them at point blank range? What kind of man? Here's what the author found. These men were had been policemen, had been businessmen, had been dock workers, had been truck drivers, construction workers, machine operators, waiters, pharmacists, and teachers. You know why they called it ordinary men? Because they were ordinary men. They weren't psychos. They were ordinary men brought up in a system with a broken worldview of dehumanizing a group of people, plus the pressure to conform in a group of men, a group of soldiers, and they did the most horrific things imaginable. The, the message of the book is, put you and I there, we may be pulling the trigger right alongside it. How could I have? I could. So here's what I think as Christians we do. When we are appalled by the sins of others, is we take that same ferocious, like, passion we have. How, how could they? And I think we take a mirror and we say, I could, I have. Now, here's where we go. 
I can. So instead of just being a person that shouts about the evil of everyone else, what if I first self-evaluate and look at my own heart? And then what if I say this? Instead of just shouting with a megaphone, I can invest in the next generation and teach them that life is a gift, but so is their sexuality. I can come alongside the guy who is living out this cultural ideal that women are there to be used. And I can teach him the Imago Dei and say, no, they're not there for your pleasure. They're there as this beautiful creation of God and they need to be treated that way. I can do that. I can jump into foster care. Homework assignment. Go to Missouri Heart Gallery. It's a listing of, and you'll see pictures, of older kids that are in the foster care system. Because here's the foster care, like a lot of people take babies, not many people want the 12-year-old that's come from their rough life. There's a, you can see pictures of them, boom, 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 of kids that need to be fostered. And hear me, those kids are the ones who are most susceptible to abortion. I can. See, again, it's easy. How could they? Here's the hard thing. I can. I can fight for the young girl who is so hungry for love that she will take any version of that love, even a really twisted version of it. I can fight alongside her. I can begin fighting alongside our nonprofits in this city who work with those that are most vulnerable. I, I can being so appalled at abortion and so appalled at my own sin, I can jump into pregnancy care center and walk with someone through this process. I can jump to I Poor Life here in Springfield and work with teens. I can jump in with Family Justice Center that's the first, like first place people of domestic violence go. First, first stop. I can You can go to our website, Hill City Church, click on the serve tab, there's a link, serve the city, all kinds of options there where you can jump in and make a difference. Instead of, how, how could anyone? I could, I have, I can. Because Jesus said to him, I tell you, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. So when we see another news article, when we see another high five by a politician in New York, what if our first response was, what about me? What about my thoughts? What about my hate? What about my gossiping conversations? What about my broken sexuality? What if that was our first response? Because as a church, hear me, if we're not careful, we can become the most unsafe place for someone to come. So this week, I sat across from one of our girls that had an abortion. And here's what I'll tell you, Hill City, I'm not on social media a ton, I'm on a little bit. I've, I've been really pleased because I don't, I haven't seen any of you just kind of take this like, Bleh! like, I haven't seen it, maybe you have, I don't know. But I've seen a lot of other Christians, I know, kind of take this like, how could anyone? It's the, like they're the worst people ever. And here's what this girl told me, who's a new, his, she's a new believer. By the way, her story's going to be on our, our, our website today. You can read it on Facebook. Molly's going to post it up there. She's trying to process through that right now as a new believer. And here's what she said. As I hear the voices of Christians, not necessarily Hill City Church, but I hear the voices of Christians the church becomes really unsafe for me. And I feel I have to hide. So I feel if I tell them what I've done, I will not be accepted. As Christians, that's a tragedy. But for the grace of God, there go I. One of our members, I was so proud of her, she wrote a post this week 
saying like, I'm here to help. I'll adopt your kid, I'll, I'll walk with you, I'll do anything, it's, it's beautiful. Here's one thing she said, if family and friends and churches are the most intimidating people to share unplanned pregnancy with, are we truly creating a pro-life culture? Oh, that's good. That is so good, right? If we're gonna be pro-life, number one, we gotta be pro-all-life, imago day, whatever the issue is, but our churches must be the safest place in the world to say, I am broken. It must be the safest place in the world to come and say, I'm considering having an abortion right now. I don't know what to do. Let me talk to you, girls, guys that are maybe engaged, you know, dating a girl. Like, if that's you ever, please come to your pastors. We will walk with you through every bit of that. We're just asking you to please come here before you go somewhere else. You will not be shunned. You will not be disciplined. You will not be looked down on. We will walk with you. Hill City, if the gospel is true, we have nothing to hide. We are all equal as breakers of the Imago Dei in the same boat. And we must, instead of just being voices of what we hate, be voices that look inside. Here's a homework assignment for you. The next time we want to rant on Facebook, how could anyone, I dare you to do this. What if you confess all of your worst shame and then say what you have to say? We might think twice. Love Jesus, verse 6. Let's wrap this up. I want you to see the grace here, even the grace he shows these people, because I'm sure Jesus is pretty frustrated with their question and what's going on. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit in this fig tree and I can't find any. I'm going to cut it down. So he gives this picture of this fig tree. Hasn't produced fruit. It's, it's, evil. it's just broken. Let's cut it down. Why should it use up ground? Verse 8. And he answered them, sir, let it alone this year and I'll dig around it and put on some manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. What is Jesus telling these people this broken Imago Dei? Hey, like you're off and actually you deserve punishment and death just like any of those people you're pointing at. But God is so gracious, he's going to give you another chance to repent. It is absolutely beautiful. He highlights in the midst of this conversation their need to repent, but also this beautiful patience of God, even with us and our self-righteousness. See, the gospel is that all of humanity, every single one of us, have rebelled. We have all lived a fractured version of the Imago Dei. Therefore, we are all deserving of his wrath and punishment. By the grace of God, Jesus came, perfectly lived out the Imago Dei, took our wrath upon himself, and now offers us peace. Us too, not them, us. So as we come to communion today, I'm going to close by reading a few scriptures that I want us to center us around the table because really the heart of communion is this invitation for believers to come and celebrate that Jesus is the hero, not us, but it's also to repent. So as believers, here's my invitation to you this morning. With whatever issue, whether it's the abortion issue we've talked about, whether it's a friend of yours that's doing something, you're just like, I can't believe he would do. What if you first said, I could, I have. And what if you evaluate? Let me read some passages before we jump to communion. First Corinthians, let a person examine himself. Before we come to the table, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone, believers, who eats and drinks without discerning their own heart, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's what he's saying. Anyone that comes to the table thinking, how could they? You're missing it. Let's examine. While we're appalled at the sins of others, I think Jesus might give us this passage. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. He keeps going, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one another. If one has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in harmony. Last one, Galatians 5, as we look at our own hearts. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of the like. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I believe the invitation of Jesus today before we ever look at anyone else and say, what about my heart? And I think that's the invitation today. And God would graciously say, hey, you're here today. You're like the fig tree, you're here. You have one more, you have an opportunity to repent. It's a beautiful, gracious invitation from God, like you're here. Let's repent, let's look at our hearts.